I'm Matsudiso, a musician, songwriter, producer and composer. I also teach. I'm fascinated by process, how we make what we make, why we make what we make. As a musician, I'm always learning from and inspired by other creatives, other musicians, artists, the arts itself, people. In short, life all inform the music I make. And I think that learning from others enriches not only our own art, but the arts. And why holding up the ladder? Well, because we're all trying to get somewhere and I think we build something stronger if we help each other. If we hold up the ladder rather than pull it up from under us as we climb. I'll be talking to all kinds of creatives about process, lessons learned, things that inspire us, the music we're listening to, what makes us who we are and the help we've had along the way. So join me as we climb, holding up the ladder. Um, I grew up with natural light um so that has contributed a lot to my imagery the reason i don't use a lot of blue or white light and big lights in a lot of my work is because it's unnatural for me it's it's european it's western for me so um i don't try and change how africa is and i find that sometimes people change what it should look like or they try and make it unnatural and that ends up making it look ugly. Mateo Mwang is a cinematographer and photographer from South Africa. I met Mateo in 2012. I was heading to South Africa, where half of me is from, and I wanted to shoot a video for a song I wrote called Running. It's a song that's kind of a love letter to my dad, who was in exile in London during apartheid. As a child growing up in London, I remember my dad was a serious runner. And as an adult, I got into running and I wanted to shoot a video of me running, but this time not in the streets of London, but the streets of Joburg. I wanted to show the Joburg I knew that's dynamic, gritty, vibrant, and also very green. Fun fact, Joburg is in the top 10 cities for the most trees in the world, but I digress. Back to Mateo. A friend put us in touch and we shot running in one day, he filming at the back of his pickup truck with his friend driving and me running behind it. We shot in Soweto, we shot along the highway in the leafy northern suburbs across Mandela Bridge from sunrise to sunset. Since then, Mateo's star has continued to rise with wide-ranging work. He's done TV for Ben Sherman and Red Bull, award-winning short films, music videos including Blick Bassey's Woni and In the Castle of My Skin for Sons of Kemet and more recently a feature film and drama series for Netflix, Kahi Soledigas Catching Feelings and South African spy drama Queen Sono that came out in February this year. I loved talking to Matteo. I learned so much about how he sees the world, literally through his lens. We talk about his love of storytelling, particularly storytelling from an African perspective. We talk about how his childhood impacted his love of light and lighting black skin. 
cinematographers that inspire him, representing the African continent on a global stage, and of course, music. A quick disclaimer before we start, I had a few tech issues with the sound in this interview that I only discovered after our call, but hopefully that won't detract from what I consider to be a really thought-provoking discussion. Okay, let's go. So, Matteo, um, so good to speak to you. I'm really uh, excited to hear what you have to share with us, all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa. So tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you do. Give us a little backstory. Um, well, I, I'm a cinematographer. I, I can't, I was about to say I work as a cinematographer and then I realized that there are people who do real work out there. I, I do cinematography for a living. I, I, I get paid for it, I guess, which makes it work. But I, I don't think I've ever worked a day in my life because I think I'm so fortunate to be able to do what I do and get remunerated for it. Um, um, yeah, I guess that's what I do. I work as a cinematographer. And how did you get into it? Like, why, why cinematography? It's strange. It's, um, I, I, after high school, I went and studied photography. So I studied photography. And while I was at photography school, close to the end of my period at, um, at photography school, they brought in different people to kind of mentor us and speak to us about different areas you can get into through photography. So different types of photography and then cinematography came up and I'd always loved films, but even at the age of 19, I had no idea what a cinematographer was or director of photography. Um, and then when this guy came and spoke to us, I realized that as much as I loved photography, I wasn't ready to go out into the world and work as a photographer. And I knew that I could kind of delay time by telling my parents I want to study further because they're really into that. I'm not sure if that's the case all over the world. I mean, I'm sure all parents want their kids to study all over the world. But I also come from a country where our parents and their parents weren't necessarily given the opportunity to study whatever they wanted to study. So I come from a country where we have apartheid as history. So, um, well... Actually, it's not even history, it's still current. But anyway, um, um, so the idea that you can study further and increase your knowledge of the world through education was very appetizing to, to my parents. So even though I had studied photography and graduated, um, I wasn't ready to work as a photographer. So... Um, I, I told my parents I want to study further and then they asked me what and then I said I want to go to film school and major in cinematography so I went to film school um, a year after photography and I majored in cinematography and yeah it's I so it's not one of those things where I always knew it's what I wanted to do again like I said I had no idea what a cinematographer was until that time so um it yeah it changed my life it changed my life um i now work in the field i can't see myself doing anything else 
it's 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 the love of my life <laughs> it's funny i was thinking about you because you're born in cape town right yeah yeah and i was thinking about so what's your process because tell me about your eye because if i think about south africa one of the things that really strikes me is how vast everything is yeah. and I even say like it almost looks like when I'm in London I feel like the sky is quite low but in South Africa like there's like an expanse to the sky I can't describe it it's a particular thing and I was just wondering like how do you see when you're when you're doing your job are you someone that sees everything as a photograph are you seeing everything as image just tell us a little bit about that so it's kind of become that. Um, also, I spend a lot of my time doing cell phone photography as well, which is quite interesting, which is something that has contributed so much to training my eye and reading light. Even though cell phones don't read light the same way, I'm aware that if I can make it look good on a cell phone, I can make it look exceptional on an actual camera. So I, um, the the... The climate in South Africa um, is pretty interesting. I always say that we have really harsh light, especially in Johannesburg. Johannesburg is a really tough place to shoot pretty images during the day because mm -hmm. our light is really harsh and it doesn't necessarily always look good on skin tones. So we have incredible sunrises, we have incredible sunsets, um, but our light during the day is harsh to film in. So you find ways in which, so I've managed to now find ways in trying to make the light better even during the day. Um, obviously I prefer, like today outside it's overcast and you can shoot the whole day because the light will be consistent. Um, I generally prefer to shoot daylight when it's overcast like this, but it obviously isn't always the case. So you could kind of find ways of diffusing light, especially during the day. But um, our sunsets, so from, from, from half past five till half past eight or 9 a.m. is we have the most incredible light. And from, um, from maybe half past four in the afternoon until half past six or seven o'clock in Johannesburg, you have the most incredible light, especially in winter, actually. I think we have really nice, we have really beautiful winter light. Um, yeah, which is quite, yeah, which I actually find quite interesting. Amazing. And in terms of um, working with people, like how, how does it work? Does someone come and approach you and then you start working with them? And like, how does that work? So um, I, I guess a lot of it is word, is word of mouth, but I also get a lot of return business. Um, so either people I've worked with on a project before that come back, but I'm also represented by an agent. You know? So um, it's, it's obviously made things easier because they have a website which they run and on that website, they represent all these different cinematographers and I'm on there, so people are able to go on there, check out different people's work and select which style I could say that they want to work with. So I get a lot of work through my agent, but also um, 
technology has obviously played and 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 social media has also played a huge role in the amount of work i get because i'm on instagram people all over the world who follow me are able to see my work my photography and i post some of my motion work too i get a lot of work through that um just at the end of last year so in in december i was in martinique and the guy had seen two projects I had shot and had no idea how to get hold of me. But he went onto Instagram and he sent me a DM and he was like, yo, dude, I'd seen some work you had shot and would you be interested in coming to Martinique to shoot a film with me? So I guess times are changing. Um, 15 years ago, you wouldn't be able to say that. And it's incredible that we live in a time where all of us are so easily accessible. Yeah. And tell me, obviously, you working with other people, how important is your connection with the director? Like, does your vision ever clash with his or hers? So naturally, so your how you view the world and how you view images contribute so much to your visual style. But as a cinematographer, it's always important to understand that your job is to aid the vision of the of the director so before your cinematography there is director and there's a writer right and it's their concept that you are there to contribute to or to enhance right so their concept comes before you as a cinematographer and it 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 took me a while to get to a stage where i realized that I'm here to contribute to the project. And what makes the project great is my contribution to it, to the editor's contribution, the makeup artist. And if we all come in individually and overlook that process, it doesn't aid what we're trying to do overall. Um, so in, I, I work a lot with energy. Um, I, I feel that some of my best work is work where myself and the director have vibed. So even before we pick up the camera, there needs to be a certain synergy. Um, so I vibe with that a lot. I think if I can relate to people and I feel their energy is positive for the story, I always find that the work comes out better too. Great. So tell me, who or what inspires or informs your work? Um, I'm inspired by a lot of photography. I'm inspired by a lot of movies, obviously, and I'm inspired by certain cinematographers. So some of the cinematographers whose work have contributed so much to my visual style is there's a guy called Bradford Young. Bradford yeah. Young is a cinematographer from the US who, I mean, over the years, he's he's single hand. Well, I can't say single handedly, but he's contributed so much to how I light black skin tones. He lights black skin tones in a way I had previously never seen before. And again, that also comes from the fact that growing up, we had only ever seen black people lit by white people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's 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 because we had never been given the opportunities to touch cameras or play with cameras. So for the longest time, 
cinematography was very political. So mm. we images because they were captured by white people. And naturally so, whether they, whether it was conscious or unconscious, often when white people look at black people, they see darkness. Right. And so they felt that because it's dark, we need a big harsh light to make this thing expose. Whereas we've now come to realize that we have a sheen on our skin that is stunning, that should not be hidden with a big harsh light, you know what I mean? And our skins reflect light in a way that white skin tones don't reflect light. So it took me a long time to learn that. And watching some of Bradford Young's work, I started picking up on those elements of how to light black skin tones and how to shoot black skin. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess cinematographers like that, Malik Said has contributed a lot to that. Um, Christopher Doyle has contributed a lot to my cinematography, even though he wasn't shooting black skin tones. His composition was composition I'd never seen in my life before. Um, some of the new guys like um, Chase Irvine, I watch a lot of his work and I think his lighting is exceptional. He, make, he makes it look so natural, you know? So those are some of the people that have contributed to how I see the world and how, and, and the type of images I would like to create too. So yeah, that's so great. So tell me just a bit about like how you see, because I love what you're saying about composition. And I know Bradford Young, I'm thinking of like the work he did on Mother of George, that Andrew Dasunmu film and how just rich, every everything was so sumptuous. You know, and so you're talking about how you see and I, for example, I remember a film I watched uh, called Paradise Now. It's a 2005 film with this French cinematographer called Antoine Eberlet, I think. And I remember how it looked. There was something about the composition that just drew my eye in. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about composition and how you frame things and how you see things when you're trying to capture a story or capture an image. So there's, there's rules in cinematography. And then once you learn those rules, you're able to start breaking them, right? So, that, so, so there's elements of composition, like there's a thing called the rule of thirds. So in a frame where you put a, which third in the frame you put a character says something. So when you put a character in the middle third, they become central in your image, they're the main focus, but when you put someone's face in the bottom third of an image, it's, it's quite uncomfortable, it makes them look, look lonely because there's so much else in the frame. So when you start learning those things, you start understanding the type of visual language that you are into, how you like framing people. So I like um, lots of headroom. Um, it's when like the head is at like maybe the bottom half of the frame and there's so much more sky. So I like putting, so for me, I like putting my characters in environments. I really like big wide frames where we see the environment and then I like extreme close-ups. So I like cutting from big wide shots where you're seeing the audience, I mean, where you're seeing the environment 
and then extreme close-ups where you cut to a person's emotion. So I know people speak about medium shots, medium long shots. Those are important, yes, but my visual style, I like composing big, wide, extreme shots. And I think if you, if you watch Queen Sono, you'll pick up on a lot of that, and you'll pick up on a lot of extreme close-ups too. If I think of you, I was like, you know, going back over the stuff you've done and looking at what you've done. Um, I feel like, like I said, your eye and there's something, I feel like you love not only South Africa, but love Africa. Um, so as soon as I pick up a camera and I frame a person or an environment, what comes to mind, well, the first thing for me is how can I make this beautiful? So regardless of what the subject matter is, regardless of what is happening in the frame, I think to myself, because for me, it's so important how the world views the continent because of images of the continent that we had seen in the past. So because as a visual storyteller, it's highly important for me and I know my responsibility as a visual artist in how I shape the continent. So even if I'm shooting at a place where people are poor and I'm shooting, the light sometimes in those places is so incredible because of either the fumes in the air, unfortunately, or because of just their lifestyle. So I, as soon as I pick up a camera, the first thing that comes to mind is how can I enhance this story in a way that is told where people aren't necessarily feeling sorry for, for the people, but are also thinking, oh, wow, people are living this way, not necessarily poorly, but they've found a way around all of this madness, there's some form of beauty. Um, so lighting is the first thing that comes to mind. When I pick up a camera, it's really important that um, people are lit in a way that feels honest, but I also like warm light. So warm light already um, unconsciously or consciously, when you see it, it evokes a certain emotion in you. So as a filmmaker, so my photography and my filmmaking, I think they differ. Um, a lot of people say that they see the similarities. I think they're very different, but um, my photography um, is more personal because I'm 100% in control of it. So my photography, I also feel, um, is are my most honest images. Um, my cinematography, I find that I constantly have to tell a story based on a script. So mm -hmm. sometimes the images are not, are not always images I would necessarily shoot, but they are images that aid the story. So um, coming to, I think a lot of how I grew up has contributed to my imagery in the sense that um, we didn't grow up in homes with a lot of light. So where we, um, my, my friends next door, when I used to visit them as a child, they couldn't afford LED lights in every, in every room. 
Um, some room had like one tungsten light. So I grew up seeing warm tungsten light coming from one direction wow. in black homes. Um, I grew up with natural light. Um, so that has contributed a lot to my imagery. The reason I don't use a lot of blue or white light and big lights in a lot of my work is because it's unnatural for me. It's, it's European, it's Western for me. So um, I don't try and change how Africa is. And I find that sometimes people change what it should look like or they try and make it unnatural and that ends up making it look ugly. That's so, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, gosh, that's a really interesting. And, and why I'm so passionate about Africans, South Africa, just people telling their own stories, because you, we just see in a different way. We, you naturally do if it's your own story, you know? So I love that. Thank you. Um, I know you've done lots of different things. You've done TV, you've done stuff for Ben Sherman, Red Bull, you've done music videos, um, Blick Bassi, Zwoni, uh, Sons of Kemet in the Castle of My Skin. You did my video, that's how we met. <laughs> you did. Um, that's like 2012. It was 2012. Wow. Uh, which was, yeah, very fun. And then, of course, you've done, you know, short films, and then you've done these big series that, you know, Cajiso uh, Ladiga's Catching Feelings and also Queen Sono. Um, that's a really broad body of work, really diverse body of work. Is there anything that you love more more than others? Something that gets you really excited when you're when you're doing what you do? So, storytelling is my favorite thing to do, um, and often storytelling is narrative. So it's either short films or it's feature films or TV series. Um, but I'm finding more and more that people want to tell stories in music videos too. So um, I enjoy that. Um, I, I shoot a lot of commercials too, so for different brands. And um, I'm also finding again that brands are realizing that it's not just about selling a product and showing a logo all the time. So a lot of the work I've done, and I find that a lot of the work I'm getting in commercials too, I'm getting hired because people want a cinematic look to it right. as opposed to a commercial, um, like crispy, clean, cosmetic look. Because I, I don't shoot pretty clean cosmetic. It's not how I see the world. I'm not saying the world can't be pretty clean and cosmetic, but it's not my style. So I've been finding even in commercials, the type of work I'm hitting, I'm being asked to shoot more cinematically. I, um, so I love storytelling. So I guess my favorite will be feature films or short films because it's always gonna be story, but I enjoy the shorter work too, where it's in and out, it can be done within a week. So it's a, it's a commercial or it's a music video, but if, if it's storytelling, I'm more inclined to go in that, that direction as opposed to a big fancy, I mean, I don't want to mention brands, but I, I, it's fine, a big fancy 
Nivea commercial beauty or L'Oreal or whatever. I'm, I'm less inclined to want to shoot things like that. But if it's a L'Oreal where it's celebrating maybe beautiful black woman and there's a story behind it, I would love to shoot something like that. So are there people that you haven't worked with that you'd love to work with? Ah, um, I'd love to work with... <laughs> I'd really like to work with Khalil Joseph one day. Uh -huh. Khalil Joseph is a director I have a lot of respect for. Uh, I, I love his work. I'd love to work with Miles J. Um, I'd love to work with... Um, maybe a few years ago I was interested in working with Spike. Um, Spike Lee? Sure, yeah, I'm not sure if it's still... I mean, obviously I wouldn't turn down an opportunity to work with Spike Lee, but it's not something that drives me anymore. Um, as much as I respect him, I think, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. I think it's, yeah. Um, I'd like to shoot for maybe Ava's production company. I'm not sure if it's specifically Ava that I want to work with. Obviously, Ava if, the yeah, if the opportunity to work with Ava came about, I would, I would, I would, I would you know, I'd love to. Um, but, uh, but like a lot of, my like a lot of work I'm doing and a lot of people I want to work with are people I am working with actually in South Africa and around the continent so like a, um, as much as for the longest time I was interested in in working overseas I mean as much as I do want to uh, I, and I'm considering moving actually I'm, I'm, I might be moving to Canada soon but I've also come to realize how important it is to film in the continent and how and how it's a voice that has never been heard for the longest time and it's my responsibility to keep shooting in the continent. So a lot of people I would like to work with are people I am working with who I think have such amazing voices and their voices need to be seen internationally. So I want to do a lot of work on the continent but on a global scale. Love that, love that. So tell me, what mistakes have you made that we could learn from? Um, <laughs> when I was at film school, I was so focused on cinema. So I had, I had three subjects. I had um, cinematography as my M1, which was my first major. And then my two, my two other majors or my sub-majors were script writing and editing. And I was so focused and I guess maybe even arrogant that I knew if I passed cinematography really well, it didn't matter about the others. But now when I'm older, I wish I could write better. I could write, I wish I could edit. So I can't edit and I am not trained in writing because I just didn't attend the classes even though. So it's only now I realized how valuable it is for me to be a complete filmmaker, which would even aid my cinematography. So um, a valuable lesson I haven't learned, I guess I wish I learned, was to attend my, 
my script writing classes and my editing classes because it would also make me less reliant on other people. It means that I could literally write something that I, I can visualize, I can put it down. So because I, I tell stories visually, like visually, and I see the world visually, but I can't always put it down on paper into a script. So I wish I was able to do that. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, because I own a camera, I could then go out and shoot direct and edit my own work, you know? Um, so I guess something people should always learn is as much as you want to master one thing, it's important to kind of know things holistically, you know? Mm. Um, you could say, I want to be a, a musician who, I'm like a vocalist, but I think it's important for you to maybe be able to learn some form of instrument or to to know what to know specific terms of the drama specific terms of a saxophone or whatever you know what i mean so kind of know what you do holistically even though you are focused of at at being a vocalist got it i love that and my last question what music are you listening to at the moment um, what am I listening to? I'm listening to Quran bin. I'm not sure if, oh, if, I, if, I, yes. if I, if that's, I'm listening to Blake Bassi. I'm listening to Mposibina. Nice. Uh, because she's, she's, she's recording as we speak. J Electronica. I'm, I'm bumping that as well. I, I'm aware like a lot of people aren't loving it because they feel like it's a Jay-Z LP, but I think Jay-Z is like a goat, you know, he's like, a, you can't front on Jay-Z, he's like, he's the greatest of all time. And, and I love the beats because the production feels so nostalgic to me. It feels like the hip hop I really enjoy. Um, so I saw a few people commenting about how it sounds like such an ancient album, like they probably recorded it years ago and they, so I love the fact that it sounds like that. Um, there's a lot of new music I struggle to listen to. So I, it, it makes me feel old, actually. Like, I, oh, oh, okay. I guess a new artist I'm listening to, I don't know if they can be considered new because I've kind of been jamming with them for the last few years, but people are kind of catching onto her now is Snow Allegra. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely love Snow. I think she has like an angelic voice, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much. I've learned a lot today. Um, yeah, and I hope to see you soon in Canada, but preferably in South Africa. <laughs> yes, or, 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 or in London, so. We'll yes, 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 you must come. We must, we must see each other soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for this, Matteo. Take care, huh? Pleasure. Thank you. I loved that interview. I don't know about you, but I now just want to go and hang out in South Africa. Thank you so much to Matteo. Follow him on social media. Better yet, check out some of his work, details of which you'll find in the blurb below. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share, subscribe and leave comments on the podcast Instagram or SoundCloud pages at Holding Up The Ladder with the hashtag H-U-T-L. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next week for another episode of Holding Up The Ladder. 
I'll be interviewing singer, songwriter, cellist and composer, Ayanna Witter-Johnson. That kind of pulled together a community of people that wanted to support me through each round and I kept winning and winning and winning and and that gave me a community of people who knew who I was, who validated my skills, who who thought I was fantastic, who gave me a confidence um, in me as a performer, which is something that I wasn't there to study or do. I was there again on the composition course. So that that really helped me to set the path for what's happening now. Until next time. <laughs>